much time is left on the Zoom? Uh, I have no idea. We'll 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 do our reover once it, it reaches that. All right, let's get started. <clears throat> How are you Welcome doing, to the buddy? podcast. I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> I'm I'm doing I'm doing pretty good, man. Just uh, exciting kind of two weeks, you know. Yeah, very eventful two weeks. Um, I think uh, it's good to start off with this whole GameStop situation. <laughs> Before uh, we get to that, I just got a text message from Leila. Um, and she's like, she, someone, someone was just ordering from one of those street vendors. Yeah. And he ordered a smoky barbecue pork sandwich. <laughs> and then the guy is like, is it halal? <laughs> oh my god, man. Bro, that is just too funny. You know, it's bro, if, if there's if there's are we have uh you know beyond meat, these like fake meats, why can't we have halal pork? Yeah, if it's grown in a lab, is it still haram? Mm-hmm. Exactly, that's a good question. Just before we started this, um I was on uh that uh mindscape discord that we're on yeah uh give it a go uh after we're done here um i i asked about cryptocurrency yesterday and now there's this huge kind of thread going about what crypto is and why it's not haram but it's not the same thing and bro crypto is so cryptic i don't think anyone tell me i want you to teach me about dogecoin and why is everyone rallying around this dogecoin yeah, is it how is it actually pronounced? Because I I always thought it was called Doge, and then I kept hearing Doge, Doge. So I think nobody knows. So I think people who know the meme will know. I don't even know the meme. I just know it's a dog. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think Dogecoin uh, is honestly it was started as a joke. I I was given one Dogecoin as a as like a funny joke when I left Ottawa. Kind Does of- it have any like? You know how Ethereum has its practical use, Bitcoin has its practical use. Does Dogecoin have a pr- practical use? I, I don't actually know the technology behind Dogecoin. I don't know if it's a completely separate entity based off of Ethereum, like some of these other coins, or what exactly it is. But I, I do know that uh, it was never meant to be a no. It was actually, it was never meant to be a real kind of uh, coin. It wasn't. It was it was made as a joke. And the recent increase, the recent bump. Is only because of Elon, Elon Musk, man. Elon Musk, and he just tweeted about it again today. No, are you serious? Yeah, he posted a picture of um, him holding some other guy holding Snoop Dogg, and then them them holding Simba. And Simba's face has changed to Dogecoin's face. Oh, that that, that meme guy, meme thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know what this joke is, but. Uh, if there's no technology around it, it's, it's kind of irresponsible. No, no, there's technology around it. It's, it's still a cryptocurrency. It just I don't think it was. It wasn't designed for. Um, it was. It was made for a joke. I don't know if there's any practical aspects to it. I I honestly don't know what Dogecoin is. Forget Dogecoin. I I don't uh, think I even understand what cryptocurrency is. To be honest, I get this whole. It's a blockchain, and you know. Um, it's transparent and I get that I get how it's decentralized and um, I get all of that I, I, I get that how you know th- the 32 bytes of crap gets pushed into uh, each uh, um, block block and how blockchain you know, on a high level really works you know 
Um, and it's a digital currency. Uh, you can trade in many exchanges that aren't decentralized and you have, you know, these wallets and cryptocurrency uh, is used for, um, you know, it's, 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 it's used for uh, right now for these coins. And it's a, it looks like it's a form of not just uh, transaction, but uh, transaction. I think Ethereum, you can do um, contractual transactions. Mm. On, I oh, so explain to me, when you say decentralized, what does that mean? Uh, decentralized in the sense that, you know, there's not one body regulating it. So, you know, how uh, the American dollar is regulated by the feds. And okay. um, it's regulated by the feds uh, under the watch of the government and banks are being the facilitators for those transactions. So then it, for crypto, like the person who created, for example, Bitcoin, I know he's goes, but he's uh, anonymous in a sense, but um, how does he not have control over it? Dude, I can, I honestly cannot sit here and claim to know anything about uh, crypto. Um, I am in the process of learning. I have been talking to people. I haven't really read into the technology and how it works. I know there was this hype back a few years ago when everything was about crypto. I'm uh, sorry, everything was about blockchain because yeah. blo blockchain it, it doesn't necessarily have to be used for financial transactions, as I understand. I think there's a lot more oh. applications that it could be used for it's just that it's now associated to cryptocurrency so it's it's the technology behind it i do not understand i uh all i know is that you know you are able to make transactions without a body regulating those transactions so one example would be you know you're, let's say you're sitting in egypt right now i'm in canada how would yeah. we normally send each other money we, through wire transfer. Through wire transfer. We can use things like um, PayPal. Western Union, uh, even maybe PayPal. But even PayPal is still uh, connected to, um, you know, your government. Like you may not be able to, PayPal does not work in all countries for multiple different reasons. But the idea behind uh, cryptocurrency is almost to an instant. Because even wire transfer, what takes three business days five business days there's still that yeah it takes a while actually you know what no because i get paid wire transfer um for my work and i get it like within this either same day or next day now hmm. yeah but maybe it depends on how far it's going i know like when we bought a property in egypt yeah. it took a, a while for them to receive the transfer hmm. from western union hmm. yeah but I, I, like i just cryptocurrency I guess regular currency, um, forget crypto, just just physical currency that we're used to right now. It's values. I mean, I, I don't know how, you know, it gets valued and what determines the value of a currency. I know it's very complicated. Mm. But for cryptocurrency, is it its value simply on what, you know, what the next buyer is willing to pay? Well, that's, that's pretty much the case with anything. I, the value is not... Um... Are you talking about like the value compared to dollars or, or, or its value proposition? It's no, it's value compared to like a dollar. So, like Bitcoin, when it goes up or down, that's relative to 
it's like almost like a security. It's just relative to what the next person was willing to buy it at. Yeah, to an extent. I think um, Bitcoin um, is tied to supply and demand, right? I had some some guy last week explain to me how mining actually works. And so there is, um, you know, I, there's we there's 21 million bitcoins that will ever exist so there's that limit and that right? limit was created by the creator meaning he could turn around and say i just add another 21 million if you wanted to i don't know i don't know how that works i don't know how it was decided or how i, I don't know the technology behind it i gotcha. think the the way i understood it it's 21 million and that's it there's no more adding got you right so there there's that security whereas with the dollar we just saw they just keep printing. Yeah. yeah last year, it's like, what, what, what is it? 30 plus percent of dollars have just been, you know, printed last year. All dollars, American dollars has been printed. Ever. That's so insane. That's yeah. so insane. So Bitcoin has that limit. And then on top of that, um, you know, we're not, I think we're at 18 million plus mined, nowhere near 21 million. And we probably will not mine all 21 million within, within our lifetime. So there's this, um, if you look really? at it, yeah, it's, if you look at a graph, um, the amount of time it takes, you know, you to mine a certain Bitcoin, um, the closer we get to 21 million, the longer it takes. Oh, okay. Okay. I was going to say, cause 18 million is pretty close. Yeah. So like in the beginning, people are able to mine, you know, quite a bit of Bitcoin, um, and again, I don't even understand what they mean by mining. I, I, I so here's what, I, what I'm reading here. Mining. In a cryptocurrency network, mining is a validation of transactions. For this effort, successful miners obtain new cryptocurrency as a reward. Hmm. The reward decreases transaction fees by creating a complementary incentive to contribute to the processing power of the network. I think people who are mining are also the people who are basically facilitating, facilitating these yeah. transactions. So it's just like, hey, you're going to help us make these transactions go through. Here's a reward. Sure, fair enough. But the I- I- idea behind that is, um, in the beginning, the reward was high, but now reward that reward is getting smaller and smaller. So mm. the, the squeeze for the Bitcoin is getting harder and harder. And if I could be wrong, but um, some guy last week, you know, I spent a you know considerable amount of time. Uh, he, he he spent quite a bit of time explaining to me how not just Bitcoin, Ethereum, but all these other altcoins, how they work. But he mentioned to me that, you know, the last Bitcoin that will be mined will take 50 plus years. Mm. Right? Whoa. Yeah. Because you have to remember, Bitcoin is what, like, uh, like um, it can be broken down to a Satoshi, right? And I don't know if it's like 100 million Satoshis or a billion Satoshis. I think it's 100 million Satoshis. So each Bitcoin is a 100 million Satoshis. And so... Interesting. Okay, got you. Yeah. So it's not just, oh, Bitcoin and and that's it. You can... The reason why you can buy fractions of a Bitcoin is because it's not the smallest uh, unit. The smallest unit in that Bitcoin is a Satoshi. It's interesting with this mining. So it says here that... Basically, in 2018, the Chinese government prevented mining, okay? They banned mining, okay, in the country. So a lot of these Chinese miners relocated to Canada, specifically for cheap oil and gas prices and electricity prices. Mm. And Hydro-Quebec in 2018 
basically told the provincial government they're allocating 500 milliwatts. I don't know, whatever MW stands for, for crypto mining. (laughs) So it looks like even traditional companies are just, you. I say more Iceland. Iceland has become a haven for cryptocurrency miners in part because of its cheap electricity. It looks like even regular companies are allocating resources to just this, this whole mining thing. Yeah, they are. And that's why you have mining farms that exist. And that's probably what also... Dec- so, like I said, there's a supply and demand thing. So you have these big companies that are taking more and more interest into it. Um, there's a company called Grayscale, Gray something that's, you know, uh, started buying up quite a bit of uh, Bitcoin. And uh, now it's rumored, or they could be, but um, again, I'm basing my knowledge off of... Uh, some guy who does this for a living, but they are also looking to now get into Ethereum as well. So you have these prominent companies that are taking more and more notice of Bitcoin. There's that supply and demand aspect of it. And um, that well, that's what probably drives its, uh, its value forward. Now, because I don't understand the technology, I can't speak with confidence, but I've heard and read many times why Bitcoin, although it's a golden sta- golden standard for cryptocurrency, just because it was one of the first ones that... It's the populist one. the yeah. populist one, right? And so um, this, even though it is a, is a golden standard for crypto, Ethereum is where the better technology is at, right? Yeah, I've heard very good things about Ethereum as well. Yeah, and so a lot of these altcoins that um, I've been looking at, like Dot and Rune and um, Ave, you know, they are all built off of the Ethereum network, right? And interesting, uh, yeah, and and so there's a trickle down effect, like Bitcoin increasing, usually leads to Ethereum increasing. Yeah, Which leads to these altcoins uh, um, increasing, increasing, right? Basically, the confidence in crypto as some sort of valid, you know, uh, currency for practical use becomes um, basically there's stronger sentiment. When people hear that Bitcoin's going up, it's basically a validation of cryptocurrency as a whole, and so people, investors, are uh, more confident to put their money into it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess so. And I, I think that we um, haven't seen the potential of cryptocurrencies or blockchain for that matter, because we haven't really begin, begun incorporating it into our existing... Uh, but that, this is where my question is, like, people keep buying, like, you hear all this news of cryptocurrencies going up, values going up, uh, people are buying, uh, you know, as much as they can, and, and the price is, it keeps rising. But you don't hear any stories of where cryptocurrency was actually used. You just keep hearing that its value goes up. But not one story that's gone viral about like, hey, here's the practical use that you know it's going on right now. Because I think it has a lot to do with the fact that it's too it's too complicated. It's not in mainstream. Like five years ago, no one was really talking about crypto. I mean, there were a few uh, fanatics in university that you know were willing to quit university. Some actually did, and they were they were gonna do crypto um for a living and Mm. everyone thought they were crazy and a lot of them have made some serious money money that you know you and i could be working for a lifetime and we would never see so as and you could call them the early adopters and we're still in the phase of how it'll actually settle down let me give you an example um back in 2014 2015 
when I first 2014 actually. So 2013 is when I first got into serious development outside of school. I made an app and I decided, look, you know, I'm not in a co-op program. Let me see if I can get a job at a startup. I mm. started working for the startup. And at the time, I had never heard of it. I heard of Bluetooth, but I never heard of BLEs, Bluetooth Low Energy. And so there was something called Beacon Technology that was, I mean, the, that technology had been around for years, years mm-hmm. before, but it was never, it was around as a science, as a uh it wasn't applied anywhere. So technologies often in- exist for a long time. You have scientists, you have researchers building, looking, writing, writing papers, white papers on mm-hmm. how, what the application could be. And then, and then you have some people actually building something else. So it takes quite a while um, for something to actually become mainstream. So back then, um, very few people had even uh, heard of BLE or beacons for that matter. And um, to put it into perspective, uh, when I started working at, uh, the company was called App One, mm-hmm. building beacons, but iPhones, not so much Android, but iPhones had already, um, they already had uh, BLE technology in them, in it to kind of uh, utilize. So, so imagine they started adding these Bluetooth chips that can uh, um, listen to that low energy frequency but there's no mm. around it. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I understand. So, yeah. So I, I, I got into it when people like myself, these startups, these uh, developers, application developers that were starting to utilize beacons. And at the time, it was almost like a wild west. You can use beacons for everything. Beacons can solve all, all of our problems. So the, we, I saw beacons being applied in the most you know, ingenious ways, creativity uh, was at its peak. And so Mm. I began working at the company and we were using beacons for several things, indoor mapping, near proximity, marketing purposes. Um, So there's all sorts of uh, cool things. I think there's a prototype. I didn't actually work on the prototype. It was, um, remember Samson? Yep. Yeah, so Samson actually with Jay, built this prototype where you could uh, install beacons into um into taxis and so anyone with that app that could recognize that beacon could get in- instant access to the internet for free mm. but what interesting but the idea was you know if you're driving around a cab downtown and you pass you know you're you pass a certain place that has paid for some sort of promotion Mm-hmm. Uh, we could even either on the app or through push notification or something kind of uh, let the, the the user know, hey, if you look to your left, you know, here's Bob's Burgers, and you see it could be used for marketing purposes. Correct. Yeah, I'm I can see. Using it for indoor mapping technology. So my point is that um, no one had heard of it the technology had existed for years before even got into the, the market, you know, it went from technology developed to white papers being written to, to some form of its application, but there's no real money behind it. So anyone putting in money was really putting money into speculation. And yeah, now, I got see, you. now the hype behind beacons are gone. 
But well, isn't it because of Castle Law? Like, you can't just send push and emails or whatever. Well, no, that was um, one application. That's the one we were using. But Beacon Technology is definitely used. I mean, it's used in the TTC, the same company that, I, that I'm talking about. They, uh, I'm pretty sure they have a, some sort of, um, they have some sort of a partnership that I last heard with TTC. And the TTC, you know, now, um, I don't know when you last went onto the subway, but now you have internet access in the in, underground. Oh, that's because of beacon technology. Well, they no, no, no. It's 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 mm. because of these Wi-Fi routers. But these Wi-Fi routers are also they have beacons inside of them. Got you. Yeah, and so beacons were kind of cool. You can use three beacons to triangulate a uh, an actual accurate location of a person in between these three um, beacons, right? So we it was quite interesting, right? I loved actually uh, working on it. But the point is we the hype behind beacon is gone you and i don't really hear of, about beacon but now it's yeah being applied right it may or may not be applied to or it may have not reached reached the potential that the hype was creating mm-hmm. the point is i think bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general is in the same kind of phase technology had existed it became uh hyped up the hype uh, probably peaked around 2017 before the Bitcoin crash. And then there's another mm-hmm. hype coming in now. But we're still at a phase where it's the hype has lasted so long. It's been in it's it's been in pop culture now, but very few people, including myself, really understand what the hell cryptocurrencies are. Oh, yeah. Right. When I hear smart contracts, you know, someone explained to me smart con Ethereum smart contract allows you to kind of tie it to real world application so until that that specific clause is met the that's when the transaction is verified like I is don't, it open source are these practical uses like open source kind of like how plugins work or is it created by the same people who created the I, coins? I honestly don't i don't know i cannot answer i i have not personally read into cryptocurrency yet this is something i'm kind of getting but then at. people barely understand regular currency if you think about it well, if you yeah. ask somebody what determines the value of your currency, do you think anyone you knows know. the answer? Yeah. Exactly. So, like, to be Good honest, <laughs> hey, it works both ways. Yeah, it's just the re- again, I'm telling you, the only reason why regular currency is something that we're comfortable, you know, mm-hmm. with is because it's you can use it. You can feed your belly with it. You can put a roof over your head with it, right? Yeah, and we may see that happening with these cryptocurrencies. We may not, but um... that's the direction it's looking like it's going. Basically, the more people that buy into it. Uh, I don't just mean buy into it with like putting money into it. I mean, buying into it, even psychologically, basically accepting that. Yep. I, this is a, once it, it, the problem is this, if it maintains volatility, like extreme volatility, yeah. um, where it's going up and down by big amounts, it will never secure its seat on the table of currencies. You know, what makes a currency so valuable is it's, it's, it's very consistent. I know that a dollar today is generally speaking going to be worth the same as a dollar tomorrow over years yes the value goes down due to inflation but it's it's very it's predictable you know it's more predictable uh, than you could say cr- cryptocurrencies which is why i think um until once these cryptocurrencies get to the point where they maintain a consistent uh either growth or decrease or i don't know if there's actually there won't be such thing as inflation i'm assuming so as long as there's a consistent growth going on but it's not super high and super low all the time then I think institutions will be more comfortable to accept it. And then you can really get into real world use. And then aside from them accepting it just because of that, there also has to be infrastructure in place to accept cryptocurrency. How do you facilitate transactions with it? I mean, yeah. there's a lot that's probably going to happen before 
I mean, we'll, I, there's probably a lot of time between now and it becoming like you're buying your groceries with it, you know? Mm. And we may not actually be buying groceries with it. Like, we don't actually know where this is going to head. Uh, banks are looking to something called stablecoin. Um, okay, what's that? I, again, don't know, but you can definitely, you know how you can trade Bitcoin? Bitcoin, you can basically trade your Bitcoin for something more stable, which is called Staplecoin. Um, really? Yeah, no and way. I haven't looked into this yet, right? But that's a lot of people, because the moment you, uh, you know, sell your Bitcoin and take the money out, you're, you, there are some tax implications. But if you put it yes. into Staplecoin and and banks aren't looking into Staplecoin, so it's there, there, there are ways to kind of hold your cryptocurrency in something way more stable without having cash just yet. Again, I don't understand, but the point is we cannot judge cryptocurrency for what it is now. Um, mm. An example would be back when I first got a computer. Um, did you, did, do you remember in the 90s, did you understand what the internet was? Um, it was wild. Do you remember there's a point where websites- my whole life, internet, I, I honestly, as, as, as early as I can remember, I had internet access. Of course, that's a. We had internet by the time we had some sort in of grade school. Yeah, we, we, some sort of conscious memory, right? Yeah, yeah. I do remember a time when I did not have an. I did not have internet, but when I moved to Canada back in twenty uh, twenty, um, back in nineteen ninety seven, we had uh, Sprint Canada. Mm. The internet that we had, but I just what I remember about the internet was it was it was wild. Remember, websites were crazy, colorful. Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, my biggest introduction into the internet as, as a whole and just understanding like his Neopets, bro. <laughs> bro that, Neopets game was was, was, that game was lit. <laughs> it was just such a great introduction to like, you know, the application of the internet because it, it was a forum. It was also a social network in many ways. Yeah. Uh, it also it, it had a design element. They made it very design. And if you think about what Neopets was, I have such a good memory of it. Like the technology, we didn't have like JavaScript, or at least not to mind. We didn't have like what web apps are today. So they made such, they were using just little static images and, you know, a basic HTML and CSS to, to make things happen. And it was amazing. Bro, um, straight up, what was your favorite game on Neopets? Oh, Mirka Chase. Mirka Chase. I knew it. It was, <laughs> it was the bomb, man. And, I was honestly for the longest time addicted to Neopets. Neop Same, bro. Your pets, you got to feed them. And the fact that you, now you're spending time and, and <laughs> money to buy them these virtual, um, you know, toys, virtual. I think they even have clothing or hats and crap. Bro, Neopets, <laughs> a good time. It actually was. And another thing about Neopets was, you know, it was, a, it was actually a college student project. That's what it was. Really? Yeah, it was it was a project, and uh, it ended up becoming a business. They're still functioning even till today. Oh yeah, yeah. You could if you go on Neopets.com, like I'm going on it right now, Neopets.com, and oddly the website's still not SSL secured, which is odd, but it still looks really nice. Um, if you go on it, I wonder if they got bought out. I'm not sure. Neopets oh, and all, no, they're trademarked. They're trademarked. Yeah, it must have been. It was a college. But when I hear the students, uh, you know, young students that have made, you know, these these wonderful things back in college, <laughs> I just look back and think, bro, I wasted so much time. 
I know. Bro, I was a complete idiot. Not going to classes for no nothing else to do. Like it's not like it wasn't like okay, I got work to do. That's why I'm not going to class. Or you know, I'm gonna read. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was just loafing around. I don't want to go to class because I don't. Honestly, we just we if we had known what what post school world looked like, then maybe we would have been different. No, we only knew the world of school. But we we that's the thing and. That's why, unless you experience it, it's very hard to uh, with anything. You know, we have friends that are going through a breakup, or they're mm-hmm. in a bad relationship, and everyone else can tell except for them. Unless you go through it, it was like that. I I remember being told, "Enjoy your youth, you know, enjoy this time. You're never gonna get it back." Or yeah, like, most of it, like this kind of crap that old you know older <laughs> uh, people would tell. And yeah. and for some reason, I always felt like, oh, it doesn't apply to me. No, I, it doesn't apply to me. <laughs> and now I'm turning 30 and, you know, like, oh, my gosh, I'm back. Oh, no, what's this? Is, that, is my knee giving out? Oh, that's, oh, no, bro, I can't, I can't, I can't eat a burger. It's too late. I'm going to, I'm going to have heart. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's that. And then we look, I look back, Um, you know, I wasn't the, I wasn't the ideal student. I, I wasn't a moron. I definitely wasn't a I'm more I wasn't dumb um I I mean I still you know I built an app when I was still in university it became top 100 um on in Canada there was still stuff like that that was going on but I wasted time completely Mm. and I had been told enough times what the you know what the real world would look like but I just kind of ignored it and I don't know if you do. You guys have this in in your amongst Arab cultures because in, in amongst brown people, uh, I I remember being told, "Beta, you get into good university, yep, then it's all smooth sailing. Just two three years work hard, it's all smooth sailing." So <laughs> I remember the way my for me it was just like you. It honestly was a stereotype for, for it was like you either become a doctor or a dentist or you know an engineer <laughs> or a lawyer even actually no, not even lawyers honestly just like yeah. just be a doctor like just be a doctor and you'll thank us later that was the whole saying you know be a doctor and thank us later no and, and where did this come from it's like in kindergarten i must have done good on some science you know thing some science thing and then they're like oh, okay he's gonna be a doctor so whatever they see you good at at a young age, they just like, they put you in that bucket and say this one's gonna be a doctor. Okay, picture this: Rami Nazim, doctor, twenty twenty one, patient comes in. I can only imagine you stressing the shit out. I, you 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 you're still smoking. I've told you multiple times. Look at these blood levels. Look at this crap. This crap. You're just panicking there. You know you're not even con- trying to calm the situation down. You're panicking for them. Now. Exactly. Oh my god. You're stressed. You're coming home even more stressed. Each patient that you see, you get more and more stressed. You get angry. You don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> you know, you're already pessimistic. I add that with. Uh, you know, being surrounded by diseases and all these kind of, oh, I can't even just imagine, bro. How would you be a doctor? I don't know. That's the thing. It's not like they took into account, like, do I have, um, how do I feel about blood? How do I, do I even have Oh, yeah. You don't even like needles. Them, you know? Yeah. But the thing is, the, the, I think they're a generation where it's like, we don't give a crap if you like blood, if you like needles. We don't even give a crap if you like science. 
this is a career that's going to give you respect. It's going to be a, give you autonomy. You're going to make a good living. You're going to be able to take care of your family. And you need to make a sacrifice to STFU, go to school, get it done. And that's it. Yeah. And you know what? Think about it from their perspective. I think we, we're probably the first generation that truly had it good. You know, I, yeah. I've heard from my parents, you know, fruit was a treat. It wasn't a, you know, I, I literally will have fruit lying around and they'll go rotten. <laughs> you know, that happens. I, you know, you bright, bright, you bought all these vegetables, and then all these green onions. Always, you never, at least in my household, we never finish the green onions. It always comes to a point where, like, oh, okay, I guess we still have a few stems left. We gotta throw it out. So, they're from a generation where you know an orange was a treat. You know, literally, yeah. An oh apple was God. a treat. So they grew up in an environment where it wasn't as bad as their grandfathers and or their fathers and so on, but it was still a hard enough life and survival was still, survival was still in the forefront of uh, um, priorities. So why would you not be convinced? Like it had, had I, I see the people around me, the most successful and sought after professions. Okay, a doctor, a lawyer, a pilot some of these professions they were they're they're doing really well it wasn't like there were there were there, there wasn't a tech, tech industry where engineers were being paid quite quite a mm. bit but again it was a very stable respect which respect was a real thing too remember yeah different back then so it wasn't just about the money it was also about having um respect some prestige like you know that man is a doctor like even yeah. now, when you meet someone that's a doctor, there is, there is that kind of uh, okay, cool, wow, that guy's a doctor. You know? The thing is, my parents were right in many ways. It, look, for me, what what happened to me was when I was in school, and you know, I I did well in school, but I would go on these forums. So if you were a med school student, anyone who's a prospective med school student, we all went on these forums. It was like these pre med forums, and those forums scared the crap out of me because basically it made it sound like. Yeah, you can be a doctor, but you better be passionate because if you're not, just so you know, you're gonna have no life. You're not gonna make money till you're 35. Uh, you know, a, a, just a bunch of things that, like, just so much sentiment that's telling me, hey, you better do only do this if you truly love medical sciences and you truly love, you know, this field. And for me, again, God bless. Like, I just, I barely went to the doctor anyway, so I don't even know what a doctor does. I know everyone thinks they know what a doctor does. Like, oh, he looks at you, he checks you up, and then he, you know prescribes you medication but all i knew was family was um you know walk-in clinic doctors when i'd have a flu or something they'd look at me for two minutes give me something but i didn't actually know what a doctor does in a real setting in a hospital setting uh, i had no idea yet i was willing to sign my life away to do this you know a uh, career that i had no interest i had no genuine interest in i was just doing it because i was doing well in the sciences and the life sciences and my parents said it's a great career but then you go on these forums and they're telling you run unless you have and, and don't forget the debt that you're going to get into um don't don't expect to get married anytime soon and if you do don't expect to see your wife all this crap and i remember i told my mom this stuff when i made my decision that hey honestly I, this is not something I'm, i want to do mm. and you know basically i when i told her that she started basically telling me you're going to regret this and she's like you think that and she ended up being right but like, do you think that in whatever career you go into, fine, you say, Rami, or mom, I don't want to be a doctor. I want to be whatever. If you want to start making good money in that career that you're about to tell me, you're also going to have to cure yourself and barely see your wife and you're barely, you're going to be working all the time. And I didn't believe her. 
I'm like, no, I just want a nine to five. I, I don't want to be a doctor. Nine to five people get paid just as much, you know? Hmm. And uh, she ended up being right. Uh, and, and she is a career woman herself. I don't know why I didn't take the advice, but if anybody in North America, if you are trying to make it, if you are trying to, whether it's in the corporate ladder or, or you're starting your own business, it doesn't matter if you do, if you're a doctor and you're saving lives, or if you're a digital marketer, or if you're a designer, whatever the case may be, um, for you to make it, you need to literally give your life towards that career. Yeah, I think, um, um, especially in the early days, I mean, that's why, you know, building out your career early on is important because once you have a family, you know, you, you should be, hopefully you're at a point, you know, ideally you're, you're at a point where you're now, you're on that, your career has been launched in the 20s and now mm -hmm. you're riding out that launch, the rockets in the air, um, the launch has happened. Now you're in your 30s, you're settling down, you have your family, you're starting a family out and you're now balancing out your life between your work and your your family so it's probably very smart to start you know working towards your career early on because you're right you're absolutely right the early days you do have to you know you do have to work quite hard and i've i've we've all seen it i think by our age we've all seen it we've seen it ourselves and we've seen it amongst our friends and family and i think it puts um, when we're young, we don't actually notice what our parents are doing, but when you're old enough, like by the time yeah, exactly. you now, you do see what your parents, uh, where they were coming from. Um, actually on that point, uh, on Friday, Harris was over and, you know, my mom was with us and we were talking about, we were just talking about stuff that happened in the past and just kind of laughing over. And there was this era of, of like these last few years before I graduated that I, I forgot elements of it. And, you know, that during that conversation, I, first of all, I, I could not believe I forgot some of these uh, very hard, difficult times. Um, but um, also I forgot there was a point where my parents first started their restaurant and, you know, they, my mom was telling us a story that, you know, Karen and my mom were my sister Karen and and my mom mm -hmm. were um, at the at the restaurant, a new restaurant. You know, I, with any business, don't don't ex expect to really make any profit at yeah. least first year unless you're super lucky, and that's that's rare. And so there's there's winter time. They're waiting. For, no, no one's coming in, and then they get back. Then it was just eat. And just okay, eat. yeah, yeah. Remember yeah. that? Remember just eat? Yeah, <laughs> those assholes. Seriously, they. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, Uber eats better than you're saying. No, I think Uber also. I, I think it's better now, not because Uber is better, but there's so much competition. But they still take a large ass chunk of your uh, money in. Like, if you can order from uh, the or from the restaurant directly, mm -hmm. and if they prefer it, then do go for that because. With Uber and these other things, they, they do take a large cut. And I think it depends on your contract with them. Um, and so they do have to hike up prices. I think maybe some or some restaurants probably prefer it because now they don't have to worry about uh, how the orders are coming in or taking phone orders, especially if yeah, it's a yeah. but 
anyways, back then, my mom and sister were sitting. Nothing, nothing was happening throughout the day, like no orders coming in. And then that just eat receipt started printing, and they got excited. They're like, oh, finally an order! <laughs> and uh, it was for a four dollars worth of jalebi. <laughs> what? <laughs> so my mom, my sister, and Daniel drove to deliver four dollars worth of delivery. And Daniel was, you know, just, just a kid back then. So it was kind of it was at night, and and they parked downstairs and sent Daniel upstairs. He came back down, and he's like, "Those guys were doing drugs. I don't know what the hell was going <laughs> on." But there was that one time where you know we're making no money. We've the family has put everything that, that that we had into this business, and nothing is running. And now we're just to have something to do. You're you're making deliveries on four dollars with the jalebi. That's insane, right? And um, I saw how hard my parents. Like I remember how hard my parents worked when I was young, but I saw it when I was, you know, in university, how hard they were working mm-hmm. towards their business. Not just, of course, all parents work, you know. All responsible parents work so hard for this guy. Said, you like have to, you have to correct yourself. I don't know. I mean, bro, it is, there are some. I know, man. It's places. unfortunate. Trust me. But um, but I saw how hard they worked, not just for us, but how hard they worked to, towards their business, and what it really takes. And now we're running, you know, DM, and I see, you know, I and it's not just with my parents. We read it like Elon Musk uh, back in what two thousand and eight or two thousand like 10 years ago mm-hmm. tesla was two days away from bankruptcy right That's those insane. are those are real world things that happened like my parents were in you know uh dire straits yeah neck deep into debt and you you gotta power through it you've got to power through that time and you gotta work really hard um and not just work hard you gotta uh, start making connections. You got to start, you, you got to, you know how Z, Z keeps teaching us to DM. I saw that with my parents. You got to pave paths that don't exist. So, yeah. you know, you see that there is um, a grocery store that sells food as well. So you go reach out to them and, and offer them, you know, your product at wholesale. They got to make sure, mm. make sure something's happening. And and I saw the effects of that. If they, if they started selling samosas, you know, wholesale, what does that do? Well, samosas constantly have to be made for these wholesales. But whenever that one customer walks in or like few customers walk in throughout the day, when they get their samosas, always fresh. So now... They're getting great quality. It wouldn't be sustainable if if we, there wasn't an incentive to keep making samosas for these wholesales. You see what Fair I mean? Fair enough. Yeah. So, um, to your point, whether it's your day job, whether it's your your like you said, doctor. It doesn't matter what. Even yeah, people think it's only if you own your own business you have to kill yourself. No, no. If you want to make it, even in the corporate world, you have to kind of kill yourself. And when I say that, I, I obviously I'm speaking in hyperbole, but what I mean is. You do have, if you think that you're just going to be a nine to five and you're going to do nine to five every day and then start making really good money. I've, I mean, all, all the luck to you, but that there's, this is the free market and there's competition every hour. You're not working. Somebody else is working. And, you know, um, in the end of the day, it is just competition, dude. And if you're, if you're not being innovative, if you're not continuing continuously improving your skill set, using your free time to be more productive or enhance that skill set I was talking about, uh, you will be outcompeted and you will, you're just not going to make, you're not going to move up. 
Exactly. And one um, thing I will follow up with is uh, on that note is, you know, it's, it really depends on what you find satisfaction and comfort in. So if you are completely okay, and there's, there's nothing wrong with not wanting this amazing career. It's absolutely. Yeah. If that's something that you're happy with, and that's what you really want. And you know, other things are more important to you. That is equally as commendable as uh, um, anything else out there. So if you're not working towards your career, that's fine. Your career isn't everything in your life. Correct. People careers are just a a means to sustain the life that they want. Um, You know, a lot some people don't really care about the career, but they really care about making money, not because they have materialistic needs. Some do, and some are because they want to have a financial net because they grew out in in such an environment where money was a problem, or um, they really want to make sure that they can give their parents everything that the parents couldn't Mm -hmm. get. You know, mm-hmm. they, so whatever it is, um, whatever it is that you do, do it to the fullest. So if if it's not the career, if it's your family, do that to the fullest. If it's uh, you know a hobby that you really like, to really do that to the fullest. Exactly. You gotta, you gotta work hard towards that. Even YouTubers, like so, um, you know, it's easy to look at a YouTube channel and say, "Oh gosh, like I could have been doing that." It's very easy to see that, say that, but a lot of people that are doing those, they're working crazy hours too, right? They're, yeah, yeah, exactly. They're spending, at least in the beginning, they're spending hours editing their own work. They're editing uh, is a long. I don't know how many of you are have done any sort of you know video video editing. It is a long process, man. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, have you done video editing? Yeah, yeah. From yeah. a young age, I was really into that kind of stuff. I, I was always into that, even you know, uh, making beats with like Fruit Loops and stuff like that. And then I also used to do video editing. And if you, I mean, mm. I, I wouldn't even say I was good at it, but like thirty seconds of footage would take you like six hours. You know. Well, yeah, I actually remember you are actually good at good at it. Remember the DM commercial? You you um, made like a twenty five second version. Of oh it? yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, now I do. Yeah, you're right. Bro, you're freaking talented when it comes to these oddball things, okay? Photoshop, yeah, I can do. I mean, I'm not the best at it, but definitely a very decent job. But that's the problem. I'm a jack of all trades, but I'm a master of none. Well, you think you're a master of none, but bro, you make very decent websites. You make great content. You have amazing way with... I have not met someone that is as good as Rami when it comes to customer language. You know, mm. Rami has, and I might be a natural talent, but he has this amazing way of talking to customers. And I, I don't mean in all settings, right? There are definitely times where, you know, there's a situation where it's hard to control. But when it comes to just general customer language, customer tone, I, I honestly did not appreciate that as a true skill set. Because I just thought, okay, having uh, a personality. Just be nice. Yeah. Just be nice, you know. And, you know those uh what, what what is that crap that you write on resumes um interpersonal oh, yeah interpersonal skills yeah yeah and then that's it but i did not realize that there's so many facets to that and customer service even within customer service there's so many different facets to that but rami really opened my eyes to the science behind it 
the language, the tonality, just watching him talk to customers and, and how, I'll, I'll give you an example. And Rami and I, when we first started DM, <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're a very new company, but you know, the way we've portrayed ourselves on the market, it looks like we, we've got an ad running with a, a professional ad, professional social media, a professional product, and hopefully a professional service. Oh, people didn't know how it was working in the back, like phone calls, chaos, yelling at each other. And so this lady, at some point, what we were doing was we, we were also taking home renovation orders and this lady needed a backsplash done in her kitchen new house um beautiful house and oh yeah she needed this backsplash done now rami and i at the time were not comfortable with doing this business we didn't start off dm to do large renovation jobs we wanted to do small jobs but we saw quite a bit of money and in the beginning any money you can get any money you take so z our ceo extremely you know talented especially when it comes to just finding opportunities making it work so he pushed us into this kind of space um and so we we sent a dmer who in hindsight probably wasn't the best choice our our other dmers that were that were renovated that had an experience renovating were busy in other projects we sent this guy and what was supposed to be a day two day kind of job ended up being what was it three weeks yeah yeah it's all man it, yep. it was quite a while and so everything is done now where we're thanking a lot like thank god man like it's done uh, <laughs> one less headache to worry about because this stupid job just kept it was a pain in our in our in our ass right so <laughs> and then a dispute uh, yeah, this lady calls calls uh, DM number. Z Rami and I work full time, so we we don't attend those calls. And Zaid Z gets a call, and now Z is panicking. He's like, he ha he's, he has to spend uh, spend time. I think he had to pick up his kids from school. Yeah, from school, I remember that. Yeah, and he's like, guys, I, I gotta, I know, I gotta, I'm gonna get yelled at, and my kids are with me, and um, <laughs> you know what? I'm just gonna park the car outside, and I'm just gonna go listen to what she has to say. I'm gonna apologize, and we'll pay for whatever, because she made it seem like it was a mess. So, anyways, long story short, Z messages us that I, Rami and I are at work. At the time I was at CBC, I see the message come in. I message Rami. I'm like, bro, we can't let Z like we can't let Z do this because he's with his kids. It's bad enough being yelled at by a customer, but in front of your kids, you don't know what's gonna go down. So we message Z saying, Look, Z, right after work, Rami and I will go to this customer. And and this customer is living in north, north of Brampton, this new area, so pretty far away. So Rami picks me up from the station after work and we're driving. And now we're, both of us inside are kind of panicking, but we're not showing. The closer we get there, the more we started vocalizing, like, oh man, what's going to happen? Um, and so Rami uh, had this amazing idea. He's like, I'm going to walk in with a notepad. He's like, I think having a notepad just <laughs> look even that much more serious. You know, she's just going to, She's gonna think we're professionals here, so we 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 knock on the door. I'm I'm at this point very terrified. I'm thinking, shit, man. I, I'm not. I don't even want to be the one knocking on the door. This lady was screaming on the phone. We, not Rami knocks on the door. Um, 
and no one opens. And inside, I'm thinking, oh, thank God, we have another day. And as we're turning away, she pulls up the driveway. Can I help you? Uh, yes, we're from DM. And now we're, we're not pretending to be owners. We're, 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 there. we're pretending to be a whole department, a, a quality assurance department. Exactly. So we're here representing DM from Quality Assurance. We're here to see what's happening. And the way she put it into picture, into words, um, <laughs> the picture in her mind was it would be a mess, a kitchen. I thought there would be tiles falling on the floor. I, I honestly thought like it would look like, you know, um, like a child trying to put these <laughs> tiles together, like super glue or something, you know? <laughs> we take off our shoes and we're, you know, it's just, we're fumbling with that as well. We're super nervous. Um, and I'm, I'm walking behind Rami and I just see Rami walk towards the kitchen and he kind of just pauses for a second. And in my mind, I'm thinking this man paused because it's horrendous and I'm just going to run back outside. I, I can't deal with this kind of pressure right now. And we walk <laughs> in and it was a decent job. It was a really good job. We look at the kitchen. It looks, I mean. Yeah, it wasn't bad. At I, maybe I don't have the eye for it, but seemed fine to me man i was i was like happy when i saw i was really happy i'm like this is a wonderful job what, what what's going on i mean yes it was a little messy the guy really didn't wipe down the cabinets when he was done so there was all this kind of tile dust everywhere but other than that it was wonderful now this is the first time i've seen rami really deal with a customer here and when i say it's a skill and it's like a skill that needs to be learned. He talked to the customer as if that customer was his own mother, right? With that mm -hmm. kind of level of respect, that level of empathy, and that really neutralized the situation. This lady went from being, you know, about to explode to tone down. I understand I'm talking to a person here. And I also understand this company isn't here to, rip me off and you have to understand i don't know what it's like in other countries but in canada definitely these rental jobs are often um people become victims of of uh, yep. these companies taking advantages of them so they'll estimate 15 it's notorious yeah, yeah. And it becomes like a twenty-five thousand dollar job and so you can understand the anger so we we assure uh you know we we tell her that we um we'll take care of it you know we're not looking for any more money. We just want to make sure you're happy. And that genuinely was uh, and still is our policy uh, to an extent at DM. So, but Rami did his magic and I just was there as support and <laughs> could not believe him. Like, wow, this guy is, is a G. And that's when I first started really realizing that there are skills when, you know, when it comes to these things, like I am not good at when it comes to customer support, but, there has no, you know your way around a client, bro. When a client is like when when a client is gone to a point where they're about to swear, they they will literally pull out a gun and shoot you, that kind of level. I think mm -hmm. that's when I am able to diffuse in general, when there's a lot of confrontation going on, I'm I'm good at um uh, out the situation, but there, there has been, I remember there was this one time when <laughs> I was at work. There was a point when Rami and I used to be at work and everything at DM was chaotic. And they saw these messages come in and I saw Rami replying to, 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 to this is the WhatsApp group for us partners. And like, who's going to talk to this 
I don't want to talk. Okay, I'll, I'll call. This back and forth going on. And now this is me at work. And I'm now stressing about the situation. So I go, you know, I go, fuck it. I don't give a shit. I'm going to talk to the client. I'll talk to the client. I'll talk to the client. And then Rami's like, I want to hear you talking to the client. Yeah. Unfortunately, I thought I had added Rami in, but it he he wasn't in that conversation. But this was a customer that went from a hundred to zero like that. <laughs> and that's a skill, man. I, I didn't I I wasn't I was surprised myself. I picked up the phone call ready to be I, I honestly thought I'm gonna pick up this phone call. This lady's gonna yell at me, and I'm gonna cry for about <laughs> 15 minutes before I go back to my desk. And if anyone asks me why my eyes are puffy, allergies, bro. It's just allergies. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I swear, bro. I honestly thought this this lady's gonna yell at me, and I will actually cry. This this is <laughs> this is like where I'm working. You know, 80 hours a week between the CBC. And, oh man, that was a uh, tough time. You're right. Yeah, it was stressful for everyone, and. I pick up the phone call and this lady is clearly upset because it, it is our mistake. You know, DM, the DMer makes a mistake. It's our mistake. And she went from doing that to ordering more service by the time I had finished that conversation with her. And then I hung up and I called Rami back. I'm like, how do you, what do you think? And Rami's like, bro, I wasn't on that call. <laughs> like, really? Like, yeah. Anyways. Um, uh, the point was, you know, Rami, you're definitely a jack of all trades when it comes to a lot of things, but you have some, you know, marvelous skills when it comes to customer and language. I mean, I guess, I mean, I worked in customer success or whatever for six years, right? So um, it just comes with practice, but the, I think the moral, uh, I mean, and I obviously I appreciate all the compliments and, and so forth, but um, and these are all soft skills, but I do recommend anyone who's, you know, in the market trying to find work and wants to make a career, I still recommend you develop some sort of hard skill, something that um, is just hard. I mean, anyone I know who's in my position that has mostly soft skills and no necessary hard skills. I have a few hard skills, I guess you could say, but a uh, hard skill that can be verified, whether through it's, whether it's from a degree um, or uh, a certification or postgraduate program. If you have something that you have on paper that puts you into a, a category of like a hard skill, for example, uh, to become a, a chartered accountant, you have to complete ABCDE. The moment you have ABCDE, you are now part of this exclusive group with this hard skill. And you, A, can find work, which is very nice, but B, um, your value, your value, the value for that skill is, is much easier to define than a soft skill. So, I mean, that's one advice that I would give to myself. If I could go back to myself, I would tell myself to go to school for computer science or something that I had an interest in, where I know that when I finish my program, there's still value in this, uh, this paper. The life sciences, there's really no value unless you do a postgraduate program. It's more like a stepping stone, you know? Yeah, for sure, man. I, I, I deliberately chose not to go, go into life sciences, even though there was a point where I got rejected from most of my engineering applications. And the only one I had was for life sciences. And that was only because of, okay, if I don't go into engineering, maybe I'll become a doctor. And it wasn't because my parents wanted me to, it's just, I didn't know what else I, I like to science. do. Yeah. I'm like, what else, what else am I supposed to do? I'm definitely not, you know, 
going into university for English or um, history, even though I love history, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to make a career out of it. And why not life sciences? Because unlike you, I'm not someone that's very organized, you know, so I was even worse back then. Um, I love to read, but for some reason, the moment it's something I have to read because of school or some sort of, like, <laughs> I just, I shut off. I'm like, nah, like, I don't know. That's what, wild. I don't, I don't know, know why, like why do you have that in you? Bro, I love reading and you know how much I love to read, but when it comes, yeah. like, I remember even in school, in high school, there'd be like these amazing books and I would not read until like two days before. And I'm like, oh shit, I procrastinated <laughs> too much. I'm going to have to read. And then I genuinely could not put the book down. It was just this idea of being forced to read for some reason. You don't uh, respond well to authority, huh? No, that's not even the case, you know, like I, it's maybe... I maybe that I have like because a, someone's telling you you have to do this. Something, yeah, something definitely doesn't just. I just don't do it. I'm like fuck it. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not about that life, you know. Like I, I, I would often not read the book that was assigned, but I would be reading other books. <laughs> no so, way. Yeah, man. It was. It was weird. I never realized this until a lot later in life when I started thinking about it, I'm like, what the hell is wrong with me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I work extremely hard when it comes to, you know, my career. I'm working, if I worked as hard as I worked in the last three years with the Oh my gosh, bro. I would have like 10 PhDs by now. <laughs> You'd be the next Jordan Peterson. <laughs> you know, That's Jordan, so funny. You know, I, I think I read somewhere and someone's gonna have to correct me, but I think Jordan Peterson had has a record of the most published undergrad or some crap like that. Really? Something like that. Like he has the most undergrad published work. I don't know what the, the exact wording is, but something along those lines. Honestly, I think what they need to do with school, like it, it, after high school, what they need to do is just make you work at a job, like you know, for a year and then go to university. And the reason why is you, you identify as a student since from kindergarten, from when you're five years old mm. and you identify as a student until basically you're 20, right? Uh, assuming that you do an honors program, a four-year program. So you, that's all you know. All you know in your entire life mm. regarding the real world, I guess you could say, is you complete these courses, you get grades, you move on to the next level. And that's kind of the reward system that you're put on, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that's all you know. And, and and what you define hard work as is whatever you, how you've been rewarded in in school. So hard work is studying hard, you know, uh, memorizing whatever you need to memorize, understanding whatever you need to understand, and then, you know, completing an examination or, or, or a project, and then you get a reward. And that reward allows you to go to the next level. But the real world doesn't work that way. You don't have reward programs like that. You don't get a grade, you know, you, you, you have to produce results, generally speaking. And yeah, sometimes yeah. you don't even know what a good result is. You're just hoping you, you're going to guesstimate that. I think that this might improve things by X percent, but you don't know. And um, without being in that, re without being in the real world, like it's such a shock to so many people when they finish undergrad or school in general, and they go into the working world. And I know that a lot of people say, well, I worked throughout my undergrad, or I worked throughout my high school, and so did I. But part-time jobs, most people who are doing part-time work, they know that this is just a job. It Meaning a job, meaning I'm not looking to make anything from this other than whatever my hourly wages. I'm not looking to excel in this. I just really, 
I just do this for a paycheck. I come for my four or five hours. I clock out. I, I am able to pay for all my date nights and pub crawls and whatever the heck else, you know, you spend your money on. Right. But if you just have that one year in the real world, in, in hopefully in a field that you think you're going to get into. So if you're planning to do life sciences university, maybe they put you, you, you do like a few months at a hospital uh, as a volunteer, even just being in the environment, right. Uh, a few months, you know, uh, at a lab and kind of getting that experience. Right. Yeah. By doing so, you can see what the real world is like. You'll you hopefully they they structure these internships in a way for you to understand what a day to day looks like. Because if I had that knowledge, going into university would be very very different. I literally had no idea what post grad would be like. No idea. No, you're you're right. It's it's such a after eighteen is such a weird jump. After eighteen, all of a know. And and this is the worst part. The first. 12 years of your life in school everything is set and even in university everything is set and then you're thrown to the real world where now it's you don't know what your path is you create your own path both macro and micro so mm-hmm. path in life and then even at work you're absolutely right there's often time you sure you can get a job and just do what you're expected to do and just kind of go about it that way but you are going to have a hard time really growing as a person, right? Even, even just trying to get that interview and then clearing that interview, there's so much knowledge gained, just getting a real, not to say a part-time job or those jobs aren't real, but it's, when I say real, I mean something that you've studied four years of your life towards. Exactly. Now you want, you're going to get a job in that field. It is the, it's such a big jump. It's how to interview is a skill. How to com- like communication is such a such an important skill. I don't understand why that's not uh, emphasized. Yeah, emphasize a part of the curriculum. I mean, there were portions of it, and I'm glad it was there. You know what? Actually, obviously, we we can't compare ourselves to what other people do and say like we have it better. Therefore, we shouldn't move forward because obviously we should strive to make things better. But do you know? how some of the schooling systems across the world works like do you, have you talked to friends that are from outside of canada not really not 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 in, in detail at all yeah so i don't know how it works in most of the world but a lot of uh, these uh, especially in pakistan but so in pakistan it's weird you have uh, you can do something called metric which is a which is kind of like it's it's done by um the education board of pakistan you're doing board exams written those textbooks are written or approved by the the pakistani okay okay board. so it's publicly controlled publicly controlled and then you have something called you, you can do your a levels which is a level is something that's done in the uk right and so all the textbooks are approved from this like oxford oh, okay from like a, it's like publications like exactly. peer review and so the entire course like the exams are made there the exams are actually sent there to get um um, so it's more standardized. It's 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 just all all uh, based on that. But one of the worst things I find in 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 that kind of schooling system in Pakistan, whether you're in A levels uh, or you're in metric or whatever the hell you do, is that the lack of critical thinking amongst students mm. come from Pakistan. I see that uh, with a lot of students that are coming from eastern countries but they may not be as bad as the students i see in pakistan 
And really, yeah, because I think um, they are the emphasis is on memorizing. And when I say memorizing, I mean memorizing. So like you're just you're just making sounds with your mouth or words on the page. Exactly. Like when I have friends that tell me when we first came here and they moved here during high school, they're like, what the hell is a presentation? I've never like, how, mm. okay. Like in their minds, like when they used to do presentation, it was like, okay, it was already set. The teacher would already give you everything and you kind of, uh, you know what <laughs> I mean? It was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was like, you, everything was kind of given to you when he's like writing an essay. He's like, what the, what do you, how, how do you write? And you know, how do you make a, Essays are the most important thing, man. I didn't know that in grade school, but in university, essays is basically you proving a point, you know, mm-hmm. or you trying to support a, a, an opinion or point of view. Exactly. And, and it's so valuable. Well, so hear this out. This is what I, I, I think I just found out uh, last week or so. Harris is telling me this. They would go so far as to, you know how back in the day we would have, okay, read this snippet of crap, like maybe read this paper, read this article, read this um thing essay and summarize it summarize it or answer questions based off of this correct yeah bro they were told like here's this is what you have to read and answer for this question is paragraph this line from here (laughs) to here and this is the answer and then this is what you write down so yeah yeah. that bad to a point where you don't you can't even you're not even trusted to just read the material and then answer the questions based on what you learned off that reading. That's actually why. So that's how the schooling system is there? I mean, there's probably a lot better. Like, if you go to, like, some insane kind of, like, Atchison in Lahore where, like, Imran Khan and these, like, big lead people come from, maybe it's a little different. But it, that's not the only problem. It's, things have deteriorated over time. I, I think they don't... Things like extracurricular activities or... Um, subjects that you know we had that mm, they don't have there like drama art um you know yeah i mean even the volunteer hours the mandatory volunteer hours i know a lot of people you have to do that in canada at least um you have to do 40 hours right yeah a lot of people just get it signed by a family member that's you know like oh yeah just sign here that i you know did 40 hours but i i I actually did the 40 hours right Mm. that was a very like that was such a valuable um experience yeah yeah but um, before we, you know, forget, let's let's really. I want to hear your thoughts, emotions, feelings of what happened in the last two weeks. What, oh, the GameStop. Uh, the magic word. The word that you know. <laughs> GME Diamond Hands. GME, yeah. Well, I sold my position at a. Uh, oh, sorry, I don't think I've sold my GME position. No, no, I did. I sold it at a loss. I lost seven hundred bucks. Oh, paper um, hands, paper hands, paper hands, man. Yeah, I, honestly, it, I still think it was an amazing um, – On, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that in the market. Granted, I haven't been in the market that long, but that entire story, that entire – it was so epic. It was, it was such an epic time, but – We got caught up in it. We definitely got caught up in it. it I think – I my belief is that uh, the, the squeeze part of it is is, for the most part, done. I think maybe there's a few more squeezes in there, but I don't think it's ever going to reach what it reached before, which I think it's high was $480. Mm. 
I, I don't I think that was the major squeeze. Look, with a lot of these things, by the time it goes to the mainstream, I think it's it's almost too late in a sense, you know. There are people talking about GameStop. Look, the, the guy Roaring Kitty, or I think he goes by Deep Fucking Value on Reddit. He was talking about this in July of last year. Yeah. So I think the people who really made the money are the people who were following this from a long time ago. By the time we found out, the stock had already been trading way above uh, its earnings by a long shot, you know? And by the time we got in, it was, what, 50 bucks? Yeah, yeah. I wish I wish Nolan was here to kind of give us more insight. I know, man. I want more insight into this because I, I don't know. Like, again, I can't even pretend to know yeah. um, anything. But if, if, for those who don't know what this whole GameStop situation was, um, it, basically GameStop is a retail chain uh, in America. And they basically, you can go there to buy video games, consoles, that sort of jazz. And they were going to they were slated as the next blockbuster they were a dying business because they're selling video games and the video game and you know they're basically selling cds and cds were a dying uh they're a dying commodity in the sense that all these consoles now people are buying games digitally you're just downloading the game and playing directly from your console you're not having to buy a physical cd and so the the outlook on that company was bleak and so bleak, so according to institutions, yeah. that a lot of hedge funds yeah. um, had pulled their money together to short the stock. And by shorting, meaning they were betting against the stock. They believed that the stock was basically going to go to almost nil and they were going to make a huge profit off of this. And uh, they shorted the stock 140%. And what that means is they were willing to not only short all of the stocks available to the market, but they were also willing to pay a premium of 40% on top of that. They were willing to pay for 40% more shares. That's how much of a gain they thought they were going to make on this. And I guess the, the, because this is public information, and the reason they make it public is when somebody tells you that they're shorting a stock, when you see that um, large you know, hedge funds are, are shorting a stock, that does not make regular retail investors, you know, want to participate in that stock. So you're generally, you actually see stock prices fall in this case. And that is what was happening with GameStop, if I'm not mistaken. So all of a sudden you have the stock being shorted, this, the value dropping. And these this, this guy named, uh, I don't know his real name, but again, he goes by Roaring Kitty or Deep Fucking Value. He was of the belief that this is wrong, that GameStop actually does not have a bleak future, that CDs, while they're dying, they're not dialing, they're not dying nearly as fast as people think. So, for example, in 2020 or 2019, CD sales were still 44% of all video game sales, right? And people were saying back in 2010 that CD was going to die. So, me, it was a very slow growth, a very slow death that's going on with CDs. On top of that, they had other revenue models within GameStop, like with regards to um, subscription services. Uh, they did a deal with Microsoft uh, with regards to the e-sports arena. So e-sports is, is a huge industry. You know, people want, you know, competitive video gaming. I don't know what you call it. Competitive gaming is, is huge. And they were involved in that. And lastly, I believe they got a, they have a new leader in the company. Is it Ryan Cohen? Is that his name? Um... Maybe. Anyways, they AWS guy. I don't know who. No, uh, I don't know who he's from. But they have some somebody in leadership, somebody that joined leadership. Who, I mean, is very innovative. Has a great record. Like oh, yeah. for them to put him on board was no joke. And for those reasons, this guy Roaring Kitty said, "I'm buying in. I'm buying in all. I think these shorters are wrong, and I think they're going to get hurt." And blah blah blah. So this is what this is what this guy said a year ago. 
And the story kept getting popularity, gaining popularity, gaining popularity. And then it became an opportunity because these people are shorting the stock. You have the opportunity to buy the stock. The higher the stock price goes, uh, the more because the more interest that these not only do these hedge funds have to pay interest for shorting the stock, but when the time comes that they want to cover their losses, they're going to be at an extreme loss, and that money, that transfer of wealth, is going to go to who? To the retail investors who are part of this. So yeah. it was magical. In, in a day, we saw this thing jump from like two hundred dollars to four hundred dollars. It was insane. In the, in a few weeks, it went from fifty dollars to four hundred dollars. It was it was a uh, magical and it'd be the store the narrative changed less about GameStop as a company and the narrative became f the hedge funds you know f f institutional wall street that's pretty much what it became and it was a in many ways it was kind of a movement you know the people versus the one percent that's really what it became and a lot of people made their money off of it unfortunately i, I was not one of them but um part of yeah. part of the reason uh, that even happened was was because they started messing with the, the retail investors. Yeah, well, of course. I, I mean, anybody who can exert their power to cover to reduce their losses, they're going to exercise that option. And again, I can't pretend to understand, but based on what you know, some people were saying in these forums with the volume of trading that was happening and the way that the trades were going on, it was evidence that these hedge funds were basically trying to deflate the stock using you know certain methods that I guess work. And it did work, and the stock price has dropped. I think now, what is it at? 69. It's at $69. And, and that's after a recent rally. It came, it came to $49, came down to $49 um, at some point. So hmm. is the story done? I don't, I don't think it's fully done, but we can both agree that the hype on GameStop, I mean, the story is no longer the story of the, I mean, it was the story of the week, like, worldwide. Uh, and I don't think it, it has that same notoriety anymore. So here, here's, um, okay, just, just uh, let me just break it down into just simpler things so people understand what's going on. Um, when, when, when Rami's mentioning shorting a stock, what's really happening here is um, they are essentially borrowing stocks from people that currently own it. So when you buy a stock, your, your broker, uh, could potentially, given the terms with the broker, uh, could potentially lend your stock to someone, right? So what's happening is they start lending, the, they start uh, borrowing these stocks for a premium. And what the intention behind it is, they think this this uh, this um, stock is going to tank, so they buy they 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 borrow a ten dollar stock for one dollar premium let's say and now what they're going to do is they're going to use that borrowed stock that they don't really own but they'll sell it to someone else so let's say they sell it to me i buy it from them for ten dollars now what they're hoping is they will turn a profit when the stock actually falls down in value and they can buy it back from me for uh less than what i bought from them so let's say the stock goes down to $5. They buy it back from me for $5. They return that uh, stock to the person that they borrowed it from. And now they've made a $5 profit, right? So imagine that happening, but um, on a larger scale. So we're talking about hundreds and thousands of shares, you know, millions and millions of dollars worth of shares. Uh, they're doing that way. But not only are they doing that once, what they're doing is 
they've they've borrowed the stock, they've potentially owned this stock, and they start selling to buying and uh, borrowing and selling uh, back and forth. So they've sold it to me. Now they borrow the stock from me and sell to someone else, and then do that and again and again and again. Where it comes to a point where we all own the stock that they've kind of borrowed and then sold to, borrowed and sold to. So mm-hmm. 140% of all the stock um, that so exists has been sold, meaning that there are more sold stocks than there are actually stocks available. So the more sold shares of the company than there are. So there may be 100 shares, but collectively 140 shares have uh, ha- are owned by the people that have bought it. And Correct. the idea was that based on this shorting, these um, um, analysis that they were going to put out, they have enough momentum. And the way shares, the stock market works is if you have enough money and momentum, you can really swing the way things happen. And so Correct. their hope was that they were going to make billions out of this. But as, as Rami mentioned, what started happening was a movement amongst this Reddit group we're not just going to buy, we're going to hold it. We're going to buy and hold because the idea is that if they shorted 140% of the stock, of the shares, if we all collectively buy it, they there's an ex, they, they have to eventually uh, buy those shares back from us Correct. and give it back to the original owner of the, of the share uh, holder, right? So um, that was the intention behind uh, Wall Street's kind of rally. Like we're going to start buying and holding. And it's going to come to a point where if we all, if we buy all the shares and we hold it, then they're going to have to buy it at whatever cost. And now all the boring that they've done, they're actually having to pay an interest on that as well. So Yeah, they pay interest. That's the one part. I don't know how the interest works, but that's what's different about shorting versus um, options. Yeah, and they, I, they you pay interest on this bo- you're, because you're borrowing, so you're paying interest. Yeah, and that's how I understood it. And I again, I this is this is the level of my understanding. I don't know if the, this is how it actually works, but that's how I've understood it, right? And then what then happened was it's at a point where the the, the people that are buying this they don't actually uh, they aren't they are they aren't actually selling. And now these hedge funds are freaking the fuck out. Of course, so, and it's not just. And then what they also do is people notice that okay, to make up for the losses, they started, they started, um, um, they started shorting other stocks. So they started shorting AMC, BlackBerry, you know, Bed Bath and Beyond. Other other stocks start getting shorted, and Wall Street Bet believes that they're doing this to make up for the loss of Game Street, uh, GameStop. So there's a movement that happens over the weekend that we're going to start buying AMC and bet, and there's a list of 10 stocks that, were, that have been shorted that we're going to buy it too. This is when they start panicking quite a bit. They're like, okay, now they're coming after all our shorts. We're probably going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, let's, uh, let's do this. Let's... Now, this is now conspiracy, but it's, <laughs> it may not be the truth, but this is how it looked like from a retail pers- uh, investor's perspective, where we have momentum. It's not just GameStop now. It's AMC shooting up, BlackBerry shooting up. AMC went from $4 to $21. 
things are looking good. Hedge funds are losing. And then suddenly trading stops. Robinhood stops working. Quest rate stops working. Uh, TD, Amorite stops working. All these platforms, trading platforms stop working. You know, beginning of the week, they say some sort of crap is going on and collectively this stop working. So people start getting upset. They're like, we're not able to buy what we want. And now there's talks over, this is being this is being done on purpose to reduce the number of buying uh, and uh, artificially kind of lower the price. So that's how it started off, but it became even more wild than that. So by the end of the day, they turn it back on and to everyone's surprise, the stocks shoot back up. They shoot back up even higher than they were before. So they close on a very, very on this huge high. What preceded was a week of wild, wild west. Um, Robin Hood ended up restricting the buying of some of these stocks. Um, Webull, these all, all these um, trading platforms kind of restricted. That and was crazy. It was, and that was when that was when it was a wild time. Everyone's like, okay, they're all in this together. They are they're preventing retail uh, buyers from doing and and. And what really was the biggest problem was they restricted the buying, but not the selling. Mm. And what happened was artificially now there's a there's a there's an unbalance in the supply and demand. So there's way more supply because everyone can sell if they want, but there aren't enough buyers because retail investors cannot buy. There were some platforms that were still allowing it, obviously, but these huge platforms prevented it. So the the, the price begins to artificially kind of plummet. But it doesn't, it kind of hangs there tight for quite a bit. So it was was things like that, that ploys like this, um, that went throughout the week back and forth. A lot of talks came in. This is very convenient. Um, And eventually what happened was the the week after, everything just falls and GME and everything starts falling and falling. So where we, where everyone is now at is look, the hype behind GME is gone and they may be right. But um, what's, what else is interesting is it's this clear evidence and indication of manipulation of GME and AMC. For instance, if, if you guys have anyone that has uh, Yahoo finance or any kind of a, uh, stock, uh, uh, you know, trading app, they can see, they can look at the graph of AMC and look at the graph of GME and you'll see that, you know, they're identical, like curve to curve, they're identical in how they fluctuate. So that's one. The other is some of these market orders that are coming in, these, when you, when trading happens, those, those things are, those trades are, um, uh, that data is available and you're seeing these, a weird more buys and sells happening. So you'll see a trade of 50, 100, 150, these really weird, like um, perfect numbers that you don't normally, you normally don't see when buying, buying and selling is happening and volume overall is low. So Wall Street bet is collectively still holding saying that, look, these short, short, oh, part of the reason that it also plummeted the following week was a report came out that sh- the shorting, ratio it went from 140 to actually 50 percent and Whoa. that was spread in, in mainstream media that, that that's the case now so wall, wall street bet is banking on those shorting data is incorrect 
volume does not justify why how it could fall from 140 or at one point it was 113 to 50 and these buy and sells seem to artificial and it seems like hedge funds are buying and selling amongst themselves to to artificially lower the price mm. right so that's kind of uh the thing behind it and there were there were other evidences of um distraction so out of nowhere mainstream media started reporting that wall street bet is rallying behind silver and silver is heavily shorted and then money moved potentially moved from gme to silver and silver prices hiked but then i mean i've been on wall street that's just hilarious though that gamestop and silver are in some sort of competition <laughs> but here's the thing this is where people on wall street bets are are feeling like there is some sort of uh, collusion happening. Mainstream media is mm-hmm. reporting this thing, but there is no evidence on Wall Street bets. Of no one on Wall Street bets is collectively upvoting to go for silver. They're saying the opposite. Don't let this distract you. And during even during the this whole that crazy week, mainstream media first started report or CNBC started reporting that you know these hedge funds have actually already sold their positions. That yes, was a lie. Um, they they had these analysts come in and talk talk down about Wall Street bets and how they're complete idiots and there's no science behind it. But if you watch uh, Roaring Kitty's analysis, it's you can say look you can say that that analysis I don't agree with, but you can't deny the fact that the man is very intelligent and had his thesis was based on facts. Yeah, his was his was. Again, he didn't expect the stock was going to go to what it went to, but he did. His original belief that the stock should not be getting shorted is was based on facts, rational speculation. Exactly, exactly. But again, I think that's something that we need to actually discuss quite a bit uh, in detail when Nolan is back, because Nolan has a a better understanding of what all of this is about. So, in, hopefully, next week when when Nolan is back, we will. Um, get a better understanding. Yeah, we'll get we'll get his take on it, and you know he does this. I don't know. If, I don't think for a living, but he definitely does this very a lot more serious than we do. Mm. So we'll get his uh, his outlook on this situation. But <laughs> for those who don't know what went on, and I'm pretty sure everyone heard it because it was it was on my social media. It, it was, was literally the story of the year. Yeah, it was, and it was it was fun. It was fun. I, I'm still holding. I'm still holding, and I, I, even if I lose everything, that is fine. Um, I've diversified my investments in, enough that I'm not too worried. I mean, it still sucks, but I genuinely do believe that there is some sort of serious kind of manipulation going on, and hopefully SEC, SEC um, puts some of these idiots in jail for what's going well, on. Well, apparently I, now they're... Um looking into Roaring Kitty and himself. Yeah, yeah. That's if you notice, he hasn't posted or anything recently. He, he did mention that he won't for uh, a bit, but... I'm assuming he's... I mean, in my opinion, he should sell by now. Look, he... he the man already made $13 million. No, that... Yeah, but not, not at the $60 price point. No, no. He, he, had, he had made $13 million uh, on the rise. Um... Oh, like he sold, you're saying? Yeah, that's he like he he did cash. Oh, okay. So here he solidified his profit profits for the oh, most part. Obviously, he could have exited and had... he bought fifty thousand shares, if I'm not mistaken. 
I don't know the the how many shares he bought, but I know at one point he could have exited and be worth fifty five million dollars. But he's he stood still, and maybe at this point, like I, look, you have thirteen million dollars. You have more money than you thought you would ever have. Um, yeah. Perhaps this is a, a you know he he has become an icon. Oh yeah, right and. Uh, maybe it's 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 more beneficial. He's actually a father. He's a father and he's a teacher or something. Oh, I didn't know he was a teacher. I know he's married and has a kid, but I didn't know he. It's, uh, I was watching something about him. He did an interview. Hmm. Let me find the interview quickly. Roaring Kitty. He actually, yeah. So he did an interview with. Um, hold on, it was his first interview ever, actually. Roaring Kitty interview. No, not investor. Roaring Kitty interview. It was actually a really nice interview. Um, we'll there he is. Oh, it was at Dub- Wall Street Journal. Yeah. So he is uh, Boston. He's from Boston. He's 34 years old, known by deep fucking value on Reddit, Wall Street Bets, and Dada by his two year old daughter. Um, the story is much bigger than me. I'm just trying to see. So. Damn, up more than 1,600%. Mr. Gill posted a screenshot. So I guess the last name is Gill. Something Gill. Yeah. Mr. Gill took a loss of 15 million after Thursday's market close. Um, oh, his mom. His mom was even inter- uh, interviewed. Oh, well, he, he's definitely become a celebrity. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing what I saw with this guy. Yeah, I, I do... I highly recommend everyone uh, to give uh, his video a go. Um, yeah, just type Roaring Kitty on YouTube. And the best, what you want to do is look for the video he posted in July 2020. Yeah, he had no idea what, what was going to happen. But kudos to him. I think, I think there's still a lot to be, uh, a lot to happen. There's still a lot to happen. Whether it'll go back to that peak or whether whether it'll you know, reach the moon or whatever the saying is, is still a speculation, but I think it's safe to assume that there's still more to this story. Yeah, there will be. So basically in 2019, he put 53,000 into GameStop. So that's what happened. Okay. So that's how, and then he would post updates called his GME YOLO updates. And he showed his gains. Over a year now. Well, not 2019, bro. So it's been two years, almost two years. Yeah, oh my goodness. But uh, hey, man, two years making 11 million even at today's numbers is freaking wild. No, it, it is It is actually crazy that he, he got there. But hopefully we get, uh, what's his face, uh, Nolan back. Okay. Um, yeah, so hopefully we get Nolan back. The, the moral of the story is I we have both have to agree the story has lost its heat. Now, maybe it'll re-spark. I hope. That'll be great. I still think it's a volatile stock, so I still think it's going to go up and down many percents every day which is actually an opportunity for people who day trade i guess um but very volatile because you don't know if it's going to go up or down it's pure it's like the most speculative stock of all it's more than tesla at one point tesla was the laughing it's no longer a stock bro it's no longer a stock it's uh it's like a cryptocurrency you know what i mean so (laughs) even after hours trading it's still Mm. it's been very um consistent It's, it's sitting in the 60s range and let's see, let's see where we are. But what I could tell you is I've never seen this before, but it's 52 weeks. So in the last 52 weeks, lowest price, $2.57. Yeah. 
mm. highest price four hundred and eighty three dollars. Mm. You'll never see that on any on, on any security. That two dollars in fifty two weeks went from two dollars at some point to four hundred and eighty three dollars. So for every two dollars you spent, you made four hundred and eighty one dollars. <laughs> that is absolutely freaking insane. Honestly, that that those are uh, it, it. That entire week was very eventful. I think that specific Thursday that when it first started, got to that point where it was evident that something is definitely up and they can't lie to us anymore. It was Wednesday, so Wednesday on the twenty seventh, it shot up like crazy. It went from uh, okay, actually, let's put it this way: Monday, January twenty fifth, it was seventy six dollars. So you could have got in. I could have gone in at seventy six dollars on the Monday. Two days later, $347. Yeah. And that, that third. Oh, I just bought, I just bought Bitcoin guys. Oh, did you actually? I put a limit order while we were on the call and it looks like it went through. Uh, for, at how much? 48? What is it at now? So I don't know. How do I check that? <laughs> I gotta see. I yeah. put a, uh, okay. So 200 bought Bitcoin. Let's see. So I bought uh, $250 worth of Bitcoin. And I put my limit price at, I don't know what the heck I put it at. Does this show me? Can you see your history or something on this app? Yeah, yeah. You should be able to see a transaction. The, you, you need to just click into your Bitcoin. Okay, I'm there. You'll see on the bottom. It says I bought Bitcoin. It tells me what I bought it at. I don't know what I put my limit at, but I bought it at 48919 Yeah, so you bought it at 48919 So your limit was probably somewhere... Um, something there, something close yeah, to there. Yeah. So what is it at right now? What, uh, how do I find out the live price? Right now it's at forty eight six hundred. Oh, so it's dropping like crazy. No, 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 no. It's uh, probably you're it just executing it while it's dropping. But you have to remember you're paying for the spread as well. So it might. What does that mean? Can you explain what the spread is? So spread is basically um, there's a, there's two types of fees that uh occur in cryptocurrency exchange either you're paying per trade a percentage so it'd be like 0.1 percent or 0.01 percent um i forget what the rate is per trade um buy and sell or you can also do this thing where um like shake pay where you're paying a premium spread where mm-hmm. the actual value of the bitcoin right now in market might be let's say forty five thousand dollars Correct. But you're paying a premium, so you'll pay $45,000, 200 But why? Because you're paying... So the is that fee- how, like, shake these companies make money, I guess? Exactly. They're, they're money make, making on the spread. So you asked me why why not Wealthsimple? Because Wealthsimple's tr- uh, spread is higher. I think Wealthsimple's spread is uh, 2.5%. I got it. So technically, like, I, I don't know what I bought it, but I put 250 in. Now it's worth 247 so maybe part of that loss is from the spread. No, the part of that loss is from, uh, may, it could be from the spread, but that drastic is probably from just uh, that fluctuation. So it's gone down a little. I and also have, yeah, it's down. It may I also have, down. A, I have a limit order right now on Ethereum as well. So I'm um, waiting for it to draw. Yeah. So if the problem, the thing, I just, just hold out because it may actually go down. It may actually mm-hmm. even go down to th- like 38,000. Um, oh, in the near future? Well, it does these fluctuations. The mm-hmm. point is that it's it's not cr- it's not going to crash just yet. It, there will come a point where it'll reach a, a peak for this cycle and it'll go down to like ridiculously low 
and it'll take about four or five years for it to come back up. And it's something to do with the mining cycles that exist. Interesting. But that's there's definitely a lot. We need to do an entire session just on crypto. And for real, well, I, I right now have a buy order on Ethereum at when it hits two thousand again. Okay. Okay. Canadian dollars, just so you yeah, know. yeah. Okay. I've been hearing enough about Ethereum that it'll probably reach about nine to ten thousand dollars by the end of this year. That would be phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, but we. I need a few more weeks to kind of finish. Uh, doing the basic learning of crypto and then we can do an entire session on crypto um we'll do an entire session on crypto and then we'll do an entire se- session on what you and i are planning to do with that whole um day trading yes well one thing i want to learn is how much has, has retail investing increased this year uh compared to previous years is there no way to see market volume charts like total market volume from 2019 versus because that would tell us you know yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's probably uh, those data exist. I don't know if there's active analysis on the data, but it is it is at least talked about enough that retail investors investing is at all-time high. Yes, I just saw that here. So look, um, wow, it's actually pretty insane. Yeah. So here's the average daily volume, okay? In 2019, $7 billion, $7 billion daily trades. Yeah. In 2020, 10.9 billion. And in 2021, so far, 14.7 billion. That's a 5 billion or 4 billion increase in activity. Already. Oh my God. So that is also generally a sign of volatility and stuff like that as well, from what I've been hearing. It's like the more uh, before larger crashes, you find a higher incidence of investor activity, like a lot more retail investors get involved. Yeah. Interesting, huh? That's very interesting. We definitely know in on this whole game. Subject. I know, man. So and you know then, what? Yeah, we don't know as much as Nolan. Um, I think I would say we have very base level understanding of yeah, most even of these that things. might be just not right knowledge. So <laughs> yeah. we're just talking at our, our asses right now. Uh, <laughs> Nolan is probably going to come and straighten all this confusion up. We are uh, hopefully Nolan is free next weekend and we can get that stuff. Uh, Rami, we're going to have to wrap up uh, today's session. Um, There's uh, quite a bit of work that I think uh, I need to get get done. Um, And I think we're going to have a call with uh, Mufti today as well. Um, okay, awesome. I just yeah. Um, let me know when that's going on. I'm ready. Yeah, and uh, that's another thing. We should that, we should do a yeah. thing on if we're gonna have such uh, sessions where it's just you and I, we can p- perhaps do it on uh, Mufti Abu Late. <laughs> yeah, for real, for real, man. Yeah, maybe he'll join us one day. We will have our own mind trap. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I'll let so you. Show, you, you let me go, but you're gonna have to show me where to make a wallet. Okay. Uh, crypto. Yeah. You know what? We'll we'll do that live. We'll do that live on um, <laughs> on the podcast. No, I mean serious. I think uh, uh, it might be beneficial. I mean, we'll do a live where uh, we'll even share the screen, and I'll kind of show you the steps that you have to make. And we'll obviously hide the screen when those uh, um, any personal crap shows up. Yeah, because right now is my first time ever putting money into crypto, and we did that live on air. I got my first zero point zero zero five one of uh, Bitcoin. 
on air using ShakePay. Yeah. Um, you can use my referral code. <laughs> 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 so uh, aside from that, I just need to set up a wallet. And you're going to have to explain to me what the hell a wallet is. Like, I don't know what the hell I even own in this app. Yeah. Um, it's a very awesome app, though. I'm not going to lie. I've never seen such a, a quick. Uh, quick, right? I've never seen such quick funding. I guess they're leveraging e-transfer. That's amazing. Very easy to use. Uh, and also Wealth Simple. Wealth Simple's onboarding process is ridiculous. It's very intuitive, but also very easy. It is. It is. But uh, sh- don't use Wealth Simple for crypto. Uh, you're better off. I'm not. I will be using it for um, trading, just trading. like general, any for Canadian securities only. Exactly, exactly. So tomorrow, well, I'm not going to have time, but soon we're going to be, we'll we'll be giving you guys updates on our trading uh, um, venture. Yeah, our trading venture. We're trying something new. We'll see how it works. Yeah, you know what? Let's let's do this. We'll do um, next week with Nolan. We'll go over GameStop and all that stuff. And then we'll kind of float around our our, uh, trading venture with Nolan and see what he has to say. Then the following week, we can talk about... um, uh, up, like you know, kind of talk about where we are with that, and then uh, also just kind of go over how the crypto thing works. Exactly. So yeah, we had a good idea of that. But um, Rami, do you want to just speak about our sponsors real quick? Yeah. So today's episode was sponsored by DM the app. That's D I E M. Seize the day. So this is an app where you can order on demand household services. So everything from home cleaning uh, to getting a handyman at the house. Or if you just need help moving, anything you do in the house or outside of the house, whether it's lawn care, snow removal, you can order it on demand at DM. So in a click of a button, you can have a verified DMer at your door taking care of the chores that you've been putting off for weeks or months. So that's DM. You can use gift 10 at checkout and get $10 off your next order. Wonderful. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, uh, Rami, for joining us today. And uh, inshallah, next week we we will get into the meat of the GameStop situation and yes. have an update of how our venture. Has okay, been. boys. Happy trading and happy praying. <laughs> Take care, guys.